0: Everyone's all worshiping. It's like, oh, (laughs) sorry about that. (laughs) What happened? Oh, well, stay in the presence, my goodness. (laughs) Welcome to Catch the Fire Ottawa again. We're so grateful that you guys made it out on this gorgeous day. I was kind of concerned maybe that there would only be a few of us because people would want to be at the beach. And so bless you all for making the journey here. (laughs) This is like the beach, right? The Holy Ghost. Anyway, I don't know. So I wanted to thank you guys. What a blessing it is for me to hear uh, you guys uh, with the encouraging feedback about these sermons uh, and messages I've been giving, because, you know, I understand completely they're not easy messages. I mean, come on now. And what I've been appreciating is the hunger in this congregation, because you guys are just wanting the truth, and you're wanting more of the Lord, and and the feedback I've been getting is just such a blessing to me, because, of course, these aren't seeker-sensitive messages, are they? You don't... You don't hear them very often, you know, and there's a reason for it because um, they're challenging. They can be challenging, and so completely understand that. But I just wanted to express my gratitude for those of you who've been sharing uh, your feedback with us. Yeah, um, one more person. I definitely want to thank before we continue, um, Anne Marie and Pierre. In so many ways. I know we've talked about what they do, but I just want to, again, Anne-Marie's been serving almost every week on the prayer ministry. She comes early, she sets up, and Pierre comes early. He's been doing worship, leading worship almost every week. So can we just give him a round of applause, too, and leading a home group? <laughs> Woo! We love you guys. Sorry for the interruption. I just can not forget about them, too. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, and I, you know, because there's always new people, I say this uh, Maybe there aren't new people. There were earlier, anyway. In the middle of a, se- <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> well, then most of all of us know we're in. A, we're still in this series. Come on, now. What I started January third, and wow. So um, uh, basically, the importance of adopting an eternal perspective. And so today we're going to be uh, uh, continuing, as you guys know if you've been coming uh, regularly, that we shifted gears. Now we're talking about the judgment of believers. And so we've been talking about, uh, and this is, as I mentioned, probably the most relevant and pertinent uh, to us as believers. And so I'm spending some time on this so that none of us will stand before the Lord one day unaware of how we're going to be assessed as believers and so just to refresh our memories of, of uh, some essential stuff before I move on, um, we all know this by now, the believer's judgment, we're all going to stand before the Lord one day to be judged according to what we did in the body, whether good or bad. And that's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We talked about that all last week, if you remember. Living without regret, you know, because he's talking to believers there, and he's saying good or bad, Right. So we talked last week about what's bad look like. That looks like unrepented sin. If we're persisting and refuse to repent, uh, we, have to, we have to stand before the Lord one day, and he's going to be like, hey, what, what was this all about? Why didn't you change your ways here, right? Um, we also talked about, if you remember, not wasting time. Do you remember that? That was kind of the major thing I talked about last time, because time is so precious and we have such a limited, limited amount of time in regard, in, in perspective of eternity. So how we spend our days matter. Even though it might not seem that way, they really, really matter. So we have to give an account for that. So we also talked last week, if you remember, uh, there's going to be rewards given out and losses suffered. Okay, so we talked all about 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, verse 10 through 15, if you remember, and I focused on the last part. The last part talks about suffering loss. So if you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, remember, using gold, silver, costly stones, the eternal, then we're going to get rewarded, and that's awesome. And someday, I'm going to be talking all about rewards, because that's important. However, if you use wood, hay, and straw, if you remember, the temporal... If, if all we're focusing on is the temporal, the flesh, all burnt up. So then he says, if you recall, the person who builds with that, with the materials that are temporal, he's going to lose everything on the judgment day. Everything's getting burnt up. He's going to be saved, though it was through fire, right? That imagery is just chilling. Like you think about someone's house on fire and the guy just nearly escapes. That's the imagery that Paul is using there when he's talking about that. And so we... When we stand before the Lord, there's the potential of having everything we did in this life burnt up, even though we're saved. There's also the potential to rule and reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. Okay, so there's a broad spectrum of our positions, rewards, authority given, all that stuff, based on how we stewarded our lives in this temporal realm. Now, the thing that's also scary, and normally I start off this message talking about this specific verse. If you recall from Hebrews 6, chap- uh, verse 1 and 2, there's six foundational Christianity 101 elementary d- doctrines of Jesus Christ, if you recall, and one of them is eternal judgments, and that's why we've been focusing so much on this, okay? The, the thing that's chilling is they're eternal judgments, what that means is when we stand before the Lord, how he assesses us is forever. Okay, I'm not just talking about heaven and hell, as you know by now. I'm talking about how we steward everything, our everyday lives. The money we've been given, the time we've been given is going to impact how he assesses us forever. It's going to determine the rewards we have, the positions we have, the authority we have. And that's the, that's the stuff we're focusing on these weeks, okay? And so you're going to learn all about that. The point is they're eternal; they're never going to change. In other words, forever and ever and ever and ever, which is hard to understand. But it, like you know, in a trillion years, it's not like we're going to go up for parole and he's going to reassess our lives. No, forever. And so, it would be good for us. This is the whole point, and this is why I'm spending so much time on this. It would be good for us to find out what criteria God is going to judge us on, right? So that rather than being surprised on the day of judgment, and that's the tragedy of of this getting neglected in the church is that um, a lot of Christians, um, unfortunately, aren't even thinking of this stuff. They're not even, thi- so, so they're just kind of, it's all going to pan out someday and whatever, and then they're going to stand before the Lord, and lots of people are going to be shocked. Remember when I read for that book last week, The Final Quest, and that guy was just in remorse because how he squandered his life? You know, he was saved, but he lived selfishly. And he was, the Lord judged him and said, You're one of the foolish virgins, the least in the kingdom. And he said, The pain he experienced was horrendous. It was like unspeakable pain. We don't want that to happen. And I'm like, My heart is like, I, I say a lot is that all of us would stand before the Lord one day with the well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. And so I want to thoroughly equip us so none of us are surprised on that day. Our judgment, so something to consider, as a lot of us know by now, our judgment will be a byproduct of how we respond to his spirit and his word, what we believed in our obedience to. We're going to be talking a lot about that today. And if you recall, a few weeks ago, I talked about all of this and gave scriptures for every Every point he's going to judge us on, our actions, our works, our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, our motives, they're all getting examined on that day, if you guys remember. Now, um, if you haven't been here or you've missed a couple weeks, uh, we can send you the MP3s and uh, like the audio and notes if you want. Just email OttawaCatchTheFire.com. We'd love to send them to you. We also post them on our Facebook page every week. So... Now we're getting into uh, the believer's judgment, okay, we're talking about that and focusing on that for the next however long. It's divided, we're going to divide it into two major categories, okay? Now we're going to be judged on a lot of things, but two major categories. The first is our involvement in building the kingdom of God according with our callings and gifts, which we're going to be talking about today and maybe probably next time and maybe the time after, I don't know, because it's a big one. And the second major thing is how we build individual lives, including our own. So under that, how we build individual lives in regard to other people's lives, according to our influence upon them. Now, how many of you know, no matter what you do, who you are, we all have influence on people, okay? Even if you're not a leader in full-time ministry, you you impact your neighbors. You impact your home group, you know, friends. And I'm telling you, we're all going to be judged on that because we all have personal influence, family, friends, whatever. In regard to our individual lives, how we cooperated with God's grace in developing Christ-like character. So we'll be talking about that more in the future. Today I'm talking about the first thing, which is the judgment of our involvement in building his kingdom. Okay. So, one reason for being placed on this earth is to build God's kingdom. We know that, hopefully. That was Jesus. And someday I want to probably talk about this for maybe even a series on the kingdom of God, because come on now, that was like Jesus' main message. You know, uh, maybe I'll save this. I'll, I'll save it, because you're probably, what are you, how many, so, no, I'm going to save that one. Sorry, you're going to have to keep coming, and you'll hear what I was going to say sometime down in the future, okay. i got to stay on track today, <laughs> okay. One reason for being here on this earth is to build this kingdom, whether it's getting people saved, we can all do that. Thank God, you know, a lot of you are doing that. Teaching. Not talking about what I'm doing. I'm talking about even just like your friend who just got saved, teaching him, discipling, whatever. Serving, right? Ushers, all you guys who, you know, Tricia honored earlier. And if we missed any of you, sorry, that was Todd Jana. Was she? She's not here, but. Yes, we'll have to honor her later. That was my, anyway. Um, uh, Ministering, whatever. uh, Whatever you do to build God's kingdom, we're going to be assessed on that. Each believer is going to stand before Jesus to give an account of what we did with what God gave us in this life. And we're going to (laughs) be talking about all that today. So there's some scriptures for you. Now, this is a key is God gives each person a specific assignment based on the capacities that he gives. In terms of physical capacities, mental, emotional, financial, life circumstances, okay? So, God entrusts a measure, and we'll be talking about the talents later, a measure of something to steward, okay? Some people are entrusted with a lot, but that's just because he gave them, you know, huge physical, mental capacities, brought up in a really good Christian home, whatever. Some people grew up in the slums, you know, and they, they, so they have issues. God takes all of that into account. So he doesn't expect people who are given one talent, right, to, to have the same outcome as somebody who's given five talents, like the Reinhard bonkies of the world. You know, uh, he, the key is you have to be a steward of what he's entrusted to you. That is the key. So he doesn't expect you to steward more than he gives you. that's That's a relief, isn't it? Our ability to build the kingdom is entirely based off of our obedience to Holy Spirit because we can do nothing of eternal value unless it's by his grace. It's all about obedience. Okay, so that, that's a number one key. If you hear anything else from me, pretty much ever, that's the number one key. Okay, So Psalm 127, talking about building his kingdom, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. It's got to be God. We can build our own kingdoms, but that's vanity. That's going to be burnt up. If it's not the Lord, don't have anything to do with it, okay? And there's a lot of that. And unfortunately, a lot of people are going to be, have mega ministries, or not even mega ministries, any ministries that they built with wood, hay, and stubble. Wasn't the Lord burnt up, you know? However, there's going to be people who are going to be like, yeah, totally rewarded for that because I called you to do that. So, right, it's important that we just do things that the Lord tells us to do. Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might, not by power, but my spirit, says the Lord. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. And that's what the new covenant's all about, being led by the Holy Spirit. And someday I'll talk all about that, probably for a few months. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) knowing me. It's when we cooperate in obedience with the Holy Spirit that that brings results. Okay? Otherwise, our work's in vain. That's why obedience is so important. He's not looking for sacrifice. This is a key. He's looking for obedience. A lot of us mix that up, and it's like, hey, if I just fast 80 days and do this and that and the other, it's going to be awesome. And the Lord's like, no, unless I told you to do that, that's vanity. (laughs) Maybe not fasting, but you see my point is it's got to be the Lord initiating it. Okay, so today we're focusing on this. And I'm praying for grace because this this can be a difficult message, but I mean, what's new, right? (laughs) You guys are used to that. So judgment according to our calling talking about building God's kingdom, okay? I love this. This is a key point. Uh, This is a quote right from John Bevere, because it's true. And uh, in regard to your calling, you're not going to be judged according to what you did, but rather according to what you were called to do. Now, I already kind of alluded to this a little bit. If you were called to be an accountant and you went and to uh, be a missionary in China, you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to be like, wait a minute. I called you to be an accountant, right? I didn't call you to be a missionary to China. So, So honestly, it's important that we find out what our callings are in that we do what God called us to do. Because we're not all called to be full-time ministers. We're called to do what God called us to do. And in all honesty, being an accountant has a lot of glory on it. Because without accountants, what would churches do <laughs> with finances? You know what I mean? Like, it's all important. And that's the beauty of it. It's all important. You know? And so there's no condemnation. I mean, very few people. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that some are called apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors, right? Some, not everyone. Everyone's like, oh, if I was just a pastor, no. If you do what God calls you to do, that's the key. So you're going to be rewarded according to your faithfulness to God's call, not according to what we do on our own. So we got it right, we got to do what God's called us to do. If he's called us to be one thing, we can't choose to do another thing just because we want to do something else, right? Now, the beauty of it, too, is that God calls us to do, he gives us the desire. He gives us the, so that's a, that's a clue, a huge clue. What am I called to do? Psalm 37, 4 says, God gives you the desires of your heart if you delight in him. Those who delight in the Lord. So not only does he give them, he plants those desires in your heart. He also grants those desires, right? And so it's not like he's going to likely call you to do something you have no passion for. Because if he's calling you to Siberia, it's probably going to be like, oh my goodness, I, I, I have such a heart for the Siberian people. Not like, oh, no, I, you know, I don't want to go there. Whatever. You see what I'm saying. If we divorce ourselves from his original plan out of pride or foolishness, then what we do will be eternally vain. And I already said this, so I'm not going to, but not everyone's called to full-time ministry. Some are called to be stay-at-home moms, accountants, lawyers, fill in the blank. Okay. So when you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, it's the role that you were called to fulfill that you'll be judged according to not, the role you chose to do for yourself. Now, I have here the perfect versus permissible will of God. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 talks about this. How many of you remember when I talked about knowing the will of God way back in September and I talked about Kenneth Hagin and the Lord? Yeah, the permissible versus perfect will. God will permit a lot of things. Doesn't mean it's his perfect will for your life. We want to be in his perfect will for our lives. Now, at the end of this message, I have the link to that message because it's so critical to what I'm saying today. I just don't have the time to go into that. But how do you know God's will is really critical? And we'll talk about that later. So talking about calling now, talking about what am I called to do? I just want to show you that, yeah, God actually gives you callings. He actually, he actually before you were born, he actually has something specific for you to do in your life. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, and I always get a kick out of this, because this, this scripture is seriously like the crux, foundational scripture of the Protestant Reformation. But they, they don't ever quote verse 10. <laughs> they quote 8 and 9 and stop there. For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this, not from ourselves, is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. Amen. We're saved by grace, that's saying. That is so true, it's not even funny. And that's an important thing to keep in mind as we're talking about these things. Okay, why do they stop there? Because look, the very, in the very same breath, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wait a minute, works are good? Yeah, they're, they're good. God created us to do them. So he's, it's like right after he says you're saved by grace, not by works. That's that's foundational. But he's like, but you know why? Because you're created to do good works. And God planned these works. You're calling it advance for you to do them. Okay? Now look at I'm just going to give you some scriptures that, that confirm this. Our life's work was foreordained before we were formed in our mother's womb. So many of us know these scriptures. Psalm 139, 16 Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Every single day was written in God's book before we were even born of what he wants us to do in life. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before uh, you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That was to Jeremiah Galatians 1, 15, 16, Paul says something similar. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. What's my point? Is God, God gives us a calling before we're even born in our mother's womb. You know what's interesting? He doesn't say before the foundation of the earth. People quote that out of context. He says you were called to be saved before the foundation of the earth. He doesn't say anything. Your specific life mandate is when you're in your mother's womb. Why? We're going to be talking about that later. It's because some people miss their calling, and he has to give it to somebody else to fulfill it. Because God is going to fulfill his master plan, regardless of whether we cooperate or not. There's sovereignty, and there's free will. And so the question is, are you going to fulfill what God called you to before you were born? That's the key point. God has a plan before us. Before we are born, he prepared works in advance for us to do before we came into this world. Each day was ordained. Each moment laid out before a single day was passed. The question is, the million-dollar question, will we fulfill what God's planned for us? Will we walk in what God has ordained for us to fulfill, or will we mess it up or miss our assignment altogether? I'm going to be, and I'm going to be talking about this all today, giving you examples of this happening. It's a, it's a reality. It can happen. Will we have to, or will he have to assign another to do what we are called to do to fulfill his master plan, sovereignty, free will. If we choose not to, God will find someone else to do it. And that's the, that's the fear of the Lord right there, right? That is an intense thing, and I understand that, but it's a critical thing to understand. Now, Romans 11, 29, for God's gifts and his call are ill, irrevocable. So God calls you to do something before you were born. He's not going to, that never changes. That never changes, you're called to whatever, be an accountant. Even if you go and be a, a missionary to China, you're going to stand up for a little and be like, I called you to be an accountant, and I'm not taking that away. So whether you fulfill that or not is up to you. Okay, the gifts I give you, never going away. Okay, so God's called us to a specific word, work rather, before we're even born, and that calling's irrevocable. Now look at this. This is really intense. Matthew 22, 14, for many are called... Talking about calling, few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. If I had the time today, you see that with the disciples. He calls many to follow him, only few he appoints to actually do it. So even though a lot of us are called to do specific works, only few are counted that he actually appoints to fulfill that in his sovereignty, because he knows that we'll steward it. Now, both of these... I'm going to move on. I I have a lot to talk about. I just wanted to throw those out there so we know, yeah, God calls a lot of people to do things, but only few he actually appoints to do them. Living faithful to our calling. How do we do it? So I'm going to talk about, because there's a perfect biblical example of what I'm talking about today. It's perfect. Okay? Saul versus David. Now, I'm going to ask you, how many of you are familiar with Saul and David? Like, from the Bible? Okay, great. Most of us. So I'm going to ask you this question. So we know there's two kings. They're both anointed by Samuel. I'm going to ask you guys this, raise of hands. Whose anointing would you rather have, Saul's or David's? Who would rather have Saul's anointing? Who would rather have David's? Okay, now that was a trick question because they had the exact same anointing and the exact same calling. Totally different outcomes though, right? Totally. Same calling, same anointing. So Saul and David are both received the same anointing from the same prophet, the same calling, and the same assignment from God. So Samuel, the same prophet, poured out the same type of oil. So this first Samuel 10, verse 1, for Saul, 1 Samuel 16, 13 for David. The Holy Spirit came on both of them, and they were changed into different men. So 1 Samuel 10:6 to 10. 6-10. First Samuel 16, 13. Both, this is interesting, were 30 years old when they became king. Started at the same age. Okay, so we can learn a lot because one didn't end so well and one ended amazingly, right? God calls David a man after his own heart. So how do we be like David? How do we steward what God's called us to do? It's a key point is that it's not who you get the anointing from that matters, It's what you do with it that makes the difference. So two people get Heidi Baker impartation. Doesn't mean they're both going to be Heidi Bakers, does it? It means, okay, now you got that. How are you going to steward it? The question is, how can two men with the same anointing, the same calling, have such different outcomes? What made David so successful and Saul such a failure? What's the key difference between these two men? important questions for us. Because we can be called to something and anointed to do something doesn't mean it's gonna, we're going to do it well and end well. Okay? So lessons from the life of Saul and David. Now because of time, I'm focusing on Saul to tell you what not to do. And I'll tell you what I think the key of David is. Okay, so this is, I'm going to just give you some stories from Samuel to show you where Saul went wrong. It's actually quite intimidating if you think about it. Because it was, anyway, I'll get, I'm going to of it myself. So 1 Samuel 13, 7 to 10. So the Philistines, there's, there's millions, no, not millions, I'm exaggerating. There's a ton of Philistines who are attacking. Okay, imagine this. This isn't an easy situation. Look, they have 3,000 chariots, 6,000 uh soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore coming towards you. And I think Saul and his army was like 3,000. Okay, His army was so freaked out. They were hiding. They were running away, scattering. What would you do as a leader, okay? So this is what Saul did. He remained at Gilgal, and all the troops uh, uh, with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, because this was the time set by Samuel. In other words, that was the word of the Lord. Wait seven days for Samuel to come and give burnt offerings to the Lord. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Now this is the thing. A lot of people, and this is true, say the reason that Saul's about to get royally rebuked is because priests were supposed to sacrifice, not kings. So in other words, he didn't have the permission, scripturally speaking, to do that. But you know what? I believe, and we'll see contextually, that that's not the full truth. The full truth is because he didn't wait the seven days. He waited, get this, he waited, I don't know how long it takes to make an offering, he waited almost seven full days. Then he freaked out because of the pressure and made the offerings, and then, look at this, he just finished the offerings, then Samuel comes. (laughs) In other words, he obeyed like 98%. Just didn't wait the last hour. Look what happens because of that. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, which he did, but anyway, Saul just panicked, "and, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. That's a key. I have that underlined. Buckled under the pressure, in his own flesh, did it. Does that make sense? I felt compelled. It wasn't the Holy Spirit led me. I felt compelled and did it. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. Look at the consequences. Look at that. This is what's so crazy. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had waited the extra hour... You, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command to wait seven days. What's the point? key point? If we don't steward our calling, God will give it to someone else. Now, Look at this. This is two chapters later. Still talking about Saul. This is God's will. Okay? First Samuel 15, starting in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel uh, when they w- uh, sorry, waylaid them as they came up from e- Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy them. All that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Totally. Okay? This is what Saul does. Now, again, partial disobedience, which God just considers full disobedience. So, verse 7, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Hevelel to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These, they were unwilling to destroy completely. 90% obedient. But everything that was despised and weak totally destroyed. (sighs) I'm getting chills. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Look at this. Oh, God uh, uh, forbid this, this is the assessment to any of us. I regret that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul had gone to Carmel and he, <laughs> there he set up a monument in his own honor. And has turned and gone down to the Gilgal. So uh, that's one key: pride and arrogance is a st- is that happens before a fall. So Saul's making a monument to himself for his partial obedience. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, "The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instruction." Oh, really? Putting on a religious mask to hide his disobedience. Bless you. I did what the Lord told me to do. Okay. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? And what's this lowing uh, of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers, notice he's deflecting to the soldiers, brought them uh, from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Okay? But we totally destroyed the rest. So he's justifying his disobedience with this religious language. Oh, we did this because it's a good thing. We wanted to sacrifice it to the Lord. (laughs) he's saying this to and we're going to find out later what his true motives were he's saying this to hide his true motives he actually reveals it later enough samuel said to saul let me tell you what the lord said to me last night tell me saul replied verse 17 samuel said although you were once small in your own eyes humility so that was the key at the beginning of his ministry humility god chose him because he was humble Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, wage war against them until you've wiped them all out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Obedience is the key. Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Again, like I'm just making up numbers, 95% obedient, right? That 5% matters to God. But I did obey the Lord, said Saul. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag the king. The soldiers, notice he's deflecting just like Adam did to Eve, took the sheep and cattle from the plunder the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God of Gilgal. Again, religious good thing. Rationalization. The nature of our flesh is to justify ourselves all the time. And I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) <laughs> Trisha's smiling at me. You're, you are preaching to yourself, buddy. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm kidding. She didn't say that. I, was, I don't know if she's thinking it, but <laughs> just kidding. We all do it, though. This is one of the most interesting and, I think, important scriptures. You, you can all know it when I say it in the scriptures. 1 Samuel 15, to 23. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? Obedience trumps sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. Look at verse 23. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. How many of you know how Saul ended his life? Do any remember? 1 Samuel 28, full-fledged divination, right? He went and saw the witch of Endor, got her to bring up Saul, I mean Samuel, because the Lord wasn't speaking to him. Do you remember that? And he died the next day. This divination started with his rebellion. You know, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, where Paul lists 19, lusts of the flesh, witchcraft is in there. Witchcraft is actually a sin of the flesh, it starts somewhere rebellion, and that's what Paul, our Saul was doing. He was rebellious because he didn't obey hundred percent. He was arrogant, and that's just as bad as idolatry. I'm reminded of a story. How many of you heard Angel, uh, the book Angels on an Assignment? Uh, Is written? Okay, a couple of you from the in the 70s. This guy had 27 encounters with the, um, uh, a a Gabriel, the archangel okay? There's a whole book on it. There's actually two books. He was just a pastor at an Assemblies of God church in Idaho. I, I, you know, I never forget this. The angel was teaching him a bunch of stuff. It's really interesting. He was talking about, in Christ, we have like a covering of grace, and it's like God sees you kind of through this lens. He sees you as his son, because Jesus took up our sins and infirmities, on right? And so he sees us like as perfect as like Jesus. He said the only two things that get you out of that grace covering is rebellion and idolatry. Those are the only two things where he can't... uh, If you get out of his grace covering, then the enemy has free reign because of those two things. Rebellion and idolatry. It's nothing... Anyway, because you've rejected the word of the Lord... He's rejected you as king. 95% obedient. That's the thing that, that really strikes me. He doesn't give him any credit. right? It's a very, now, with that being said, uh, if you guys remember, I talk about this a lot. To whom much is given, much is required. Okay. Saul was the king of Israel. He, he needed to, right, if this was like janitor Joe who didn't sweep the whole sanctuary or whatever, probably wouldn't lose his calling. That might have been a bad example. But you see what I'm saying. So I'm not sure if God is this severe with everybody. I don't know. But it's better to be 100% obedient just to be sure, right? Okay, so 1 Samuel 15, going on then, 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. This, now here's the real motive. Getting past this religious stuff that he should, oh, to, to obey the Lord. Or worship the Lord. No. This is why he really did it. He finally admits it. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Fear of man. He buckled under the pressure, sacrificed the offerings on his own. Now, I, you have to give him credit. That's an intense situation, isn't it? I don't know, like, seriously, if I would do any better. I'm just being like. You have an army of how many, it's numerous as a the seashore. It's like, where's Samuel? Where's Samuel? I don't know. Okay, well, maybe I'll do it. I don't know. Maybe I, I hope I wouldn't. But I'm just saying, uh, I, if you have compassion on Saul, you might, if you put himself in your place, realize, okay, that's a lot of pressure, and his men are scattering. What do you do? Obey the Lord. <laughs> that's the right answer. Obey the Lord. Now, I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me. Look at this. He's still doing it. So that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I'll not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Verse 27. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught a a hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one who's better than you. Ouch. Ouch. He who is the glory of the Israel does not lie or change his mind. In other words, that's it. Done deal. You lost your calling. He's going to give it to someone else who's going to steward it. For he's not a human being that he should change his mind. Remember we said gifts and calling are irrevocable. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that we, can't, we can still squander our calling and God can give it to someone else who's going to steward it. Well, it still means that like Saul was called to be king, doesn't it? But God's saying he doesn't change his mind. When he makes that judgment, I'm giving you your calling and anointing to David. I don't change my mind. That's it. Now, what's interesting is Saul was still king for years, right? You guys know that's Yeah. David finally became king at 30. But anyway, Saul replied, I've sinned. Now, this is the real reason. Remember, he's like, oh, to worship the Lord. He said, but please honor me. That was his main concern. Honor me before the elders of my people. Before Israel, There's this true motive. He wanted Samuel to honor him. It wasn't because he had this good motive to worship the Lord. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with him and Saul worshiped the Lord. Whew, look at this. Verse 35. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. Wouldn't that be the most horrendous? You stand before the Lord one day. And he says, I regret that I made you whatever you are. I regret that I put you in that position because you, you squandered it and didn't obey me. Having, now, it's one thing for us to regret our lives. And, of course, this would probably cause us to regret our lives. But it's another thing to have the Lord say, I regretted what I did and called you to. Ugh. So that's why it's important to learn about this stuff so we don't have that assessment, right? Now, here's David. Whew. Moving on to David, I just want to give because we could talk about David for millennia. <laughs> I just want to give you the key of David here. So if you guys know the story, Samuel went to the house of David, his father's house, Jesse, and when he arrived, Samuel saw this is Samuel 16:6-7, six Eliab, uh, and thought, "Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the here before the Lord," because David's older brother was like tall and handsome and like muscular and whatever. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Another key verse. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Why did he make David king? Why did he give him this calling that Saul was supposed to do? Because David had the heart, a heart after God, right? And he would steward it well. So when God looks at someone and says, look, you blew it. I'm going to give your calling to someone else. He's not looking for outward appearances. He's looking at the heart. Is this person going to end well? And David did, didn't he? So it's all about the heart. Now, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? There's a lot of things we could say. This is, this is like the assessment, you know, like the epitaph. Like this is God's assessment of, of Saul and David. We already said this, Saul, for 1 Samuel 15, 26, you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Ugh, right? That would be a horrendous judgment over our lives when we meet the Lord. Look at David. Now, this is after the fact. This is the New Testament, Acts, chapter 13, 22. God still saw David this way. He said, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I've found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Did he consider David a man after his own heart? The very next sentence tells us why. He will do everything I want him to do. The New King James Version says he'll do all my will. Right? That's the key. How, how do we have a heart? How, if we want the assessment of David, that God would say, you are a person after my own heart. How is it that we are considered that? Fully obeying God's will. And that's where Samuel went wrong, wasn't it? You've, you've rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord's rejected you. David, on the other hand, you're a man of my heart because you did everything I told you to do. Now, of course, David blew it. He repented, though. All right? That's the key. Repentance. This is a key to all of us. Repentance <laughs> gets us back into God's will. So, this, you know, that's beautiful, and that's what we have to bank on. And so don't worry. If you blew it, it is repentance, and that's awesome, and God will restore you. But my point is, obedience, not sacrifice. I can't say that enough. Obedience. Remember Jesus said, this is how, remember we talked about, all about this a long time ago. How many verses say, if you love me, how many of you can fill in the blank? Obey my commands, if you love me. You could say, if you want to be a heart after my own heart, obey all my commands. That's what he's saying here, right? That's the key to loving God. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. How do you obey him in all those areas? It's all about obedience. So the God who sees every moment not only witnesses our days, but also praises them against the standard of his word. That's key. One king, Saul, was rebellious and deceitful, and he received the pronouncement of rejection that resonates throughout eternity. It's in the Bible. Oh. For eternity. That's, that's what happens. Saul, that's what he's known for. His successor, David, on the other hand, sought God's heart and conformed to his will. That's the main difference between the two. He was honored as the forefather of the promised Messiah and entered the presence of the Almighty. Now, remember in, in chapter 13, he said, hey, Saul, if you would have obeyed fully, your kingdom would have endured forever. In other words, the Messiah would have came through you. Doubt, right? Instead, blew it. His calling and anointing went to David, and now the Messiah went through David, and forever and ever and ever it's the son of David, not the son of Saul. So, the manner in which each of these two men lived their brief lives shaped a nation, changed the course of history, and determined the, their eternal destinies. So, it'll be for each of us as we appear before the judgment seat of Christ on the last day. We have to give an account. So I want to talk about this because I know it's intense, but it's so important because it's possible. This this story I just told you—it's possible to lose your calling. You just read Kings; that's not the only time that's happened where God rejected a king. Okay, but I'm going to show you some uh, another scripture and talk about some contemporary examples as well because it's a reality, it's a, and it's good to be aware of, <laughs> so we don't do it. And if we did, we we repent. Losing your calling, okay. Now, most of us know this passage, and I'm going to go in more detail in the future. I didn't want to skim over to emphasize one particular part, but it's the parable of the talents. And for people's sake who might not know this or be too familiar with it, I'll just read it. This is Matthew 25, 14 to 18. This is Jesus talking now. Again, it'll be like a man, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents and to another one talent according to his ability. Remember we talked about that? God entrusts you with talents, with callings, with giftings, according to your ability. That's a key. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his his master's money. So look at, this is what we want to be like. Both the five, I'm only going to talk about the five talent, but the five-talent and the two-talent person got the same assessment from the Lord. Okay? So after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The judgment day he's talking about. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five talents, I gained five more. Look at Jesus' assessment. This is what we all want. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I'll put you in charge of many things. Remember we talked about that? We're going to talk about it more. The authority you're given forever, the positions you have are based on how you steward the things he's entrusted to you. The same assessment was given to the two-talent person. He gained two more talents. He didn't gain five, right? He multiplied it. He got two, and he got the same well-done, good, and faithful servant. Now, this is what, because of the nature of today's I'm talking about, this is what I want to emphasize. Verse 24, the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Ugh, (laughs) this is so intense. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. This is, this is one thing I want to say, too. This, it's, it almost seems unfair. This is the one-talent person. No excuse. Even if God's giving you, like, a miniature ministry, whatever, I don't know, one-talent, right, whatever that might look like, you can't just say, oh, sorry, I didn't do it. Because this is his assessment of you if you didn't do the one thing he told you to do. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would receive it back with interest. So you should have at least done something, in other words. Talking about losing your calling and anointing and whatever. Verse 28, so take the talent from him, the one-person talent, and give it to the one who has ten talents. Why? Because the ten-talent person knows how to steward it, and so you lost it. It's going to him. It almost seems unfair. But God, that's the same with Saul and David, right? It's like, okay, Saul, you squandered it. You were disobedient here. It's going to David now. It's verse 29. For whoever has will be given more, and they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that wor- worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be whip- weeping and gnashing of teeth. Key point. Key point. If we don't steward what God has entrusted with us, no matter how small, he will give it to someone else who will, like Saul and David. And I'm going to give you some contemporary examples of this because this is so intense and it's, a, it's the truth. Now, I mentioned this, John Bevere talks about this story. Okay. This is actually a board member in John, it was, I don't know, this was like 10 years ago now, so I don't know, he might still be, but he was a board member in John Bevere's ministry. Okay, so this guy, his name's Al, Pastor Al. He lived in Dallas. He was 45 years old. This is 1991. Tells this guy, move to some place in North Carolina. I think it's called Fayville. Move to Fayville, North Carolina, and start a church. So this guy, what's that? Yeah, sorry. God said that to this guy, Pastor, now Pastor Al. So this guy, he's 45 years old, gets his four kids, moves to North Carolina out of obedience and faith. Starts a church, 13 people. Like, right? But this church exploded, meaning in a good way. Okay? People started coming, salvations, amazing testimonies. This is now 2005 at that time. I don't know what it is now, but back then, 4, 000, over 4,000 people. Okay? Big church. So as the church was growing, they built a new building because they had to. And when they built this new building, this pastor, L, saw, saw this guy. Okay? This guy was a well-dressed elderly man, had white hair, would come in, sit at the back, and weep. Week after week, he came, sat in the back, the same guy, and the pastor, I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, like, why does he keep coming weeping? And the, the uh, pastor knew like, it, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Like, he just felt, this isn't the Holy Spirit. This, this almost seems like he's crying out of guilt or something. Like, what's up? So he just waited. He's like, well, we'll see what happens with this, right? The pastor said that. One Sunday, get this, this guy comes up, this elderly man who's weeping in the back, to his associate pastor, and he starts telling him this story. He said, in 1981, the Lord called me to plant a church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And he said, I had a dream about it, and the dream was so vivid that I went to a professional and got an artist's rendition of the building he told me that I would build. Okay. And he said, so I went to start this church. I started kind of getting resistance, and I didn't really want to do it, so I started traveling in ministry, and that didn't go well, so I went back into business, and that was it, okay? Went back into business. So then he says, says, I want to show you something. He pulls this paper out of his pocket and unfolds it, and it's the artist's rendition of the church building, and it's the exact to a T building that this new pastor built. The, the same architecture, the same like, cross that they had, everything was to a T that this guy had a dream about in 1981 and didn't do it. Imagine that regret you would have if the Lord gave you such a calling that you have a picture of the church and years later someone else. God gave the calling to someone else because you blew it and didn't do it and then you, you have to live with that for the rest of your life. You messed it up. God forbid that happened to any of us, right? Now, I want to give you some other examples. That wasn't enough. So I'm going to give you examples of some international ministers who almost lost their callings, okay? We're this close. The first one I want to talk about is Rick Joyner. How many of you know Rick Joyner? Those of you who've come to this church know him, because I, I read from his book last week, Final Quest. If you don't know a really well-known international author, speaker, whatever, prophet. When he was a young man, he got saved in the 70s. He went right into ministry. Like he got a, like he started having prophetic stuff right when he was in the 70s. Okay. So he's, someone asked him to pastor a church. So he starts pastoring a church. In 1980, he felt so superficial in his relation with the Lord. He, he quit full-time ministry. He's like, I am too superficial with my walk with the Lord and I don't really know him enough to lead people. So I'm going to stop ministry. Get to know the Lord better than you know. Maybe come back in the future. Okay. So he quits full time ministry. Is the point. He's a pilot, so he gets a job flying planes at an airline. Two years later, 1982, the Lord speaks to him and says, "Go back to full time ministry. I didn't. That's what I've called you to. I didn't want you to quit, even though you were maybe superficial. I, I, you weren't supposed to quit. You were supposed to pastor. Okay. But get this." Rick's wife and his best friend talk him out of it. And Rick, because he was so in, felt so inadequate, was persuaded easily and didn't do it. So then he, he got an opportunity to start a business. He starts an airline charter, very successful business. In fact, he said he was like super close to having enough money, a small fortune where he could quit, retire early, and fund his ministry for the rest of his life and never take up an offering. Okay, this is 1986. The Lord speaks to him one day and he says... Lay your business on the altar. And Rick was noticed that he said, your business, not the Lord's, because he always called it the Lord's business. So Rick was like, okay. So he laid it on the altar. <laughs> Get this. Within like a month, it totally collapsed. The Lord actually burned it up. <laughs> okay? And he said he lost a small fortune. In fact, he went into bankruptcy. And in, in, the, in early two, eight, 1987 now, two different people from two different states who, had, who didn't know each other, at all, gave Rick the exact same prophetic word. He, they said, if you don't go back into the ministry immediately, God is going to give your commission to someone else. Two different people didn't know each other, gave the same word in the same week. So then Rick's like, okay, I'm going back into the ministry. And he said, do you know what the interesting thing is? He didn't even know what his commission was at that point. He didn't even know. In other words, he was this close to burying the talent he didn't even know he had. Thank God that he went back, because look, he, if you know him, is impacting the world through his ministry. The second person's John Bevere. Interestingly enough, and for those of you who don't know, I've been using uh, Driven by Attorney" like a textbook for this, because it's this such a good book. He wrote that book. John Bevere, if you don't know him, how many of you know him? Internationally well-known speaker, uh, author. Get this, 1992. The Lord calls him and says, write a book. John Bevere said, no, I hate English, and I can't write. So he waited 10 months. Get this, almost identical to Rick. I find this interesting. The Lord sends two different people from two different states, 10 months later, one from Florida, one from Texas, and they didn't know each other. Same exact word said, and I think it's in the same week. If you don't write what the Lord's given you, he's going to give the message to someone else, and you're going to be judged. So then John knew enough to go and write the book. You know what book that was? How many of you have heard of Bait of Satan? Most of us. This close, because he felt inadequate, to sitting on the te- to squandering the town, and God said, okay, I'll have to give it to someone else if you don't do it. You know, Rick, the, the after he went back into ministry, Rick Joyner now, he had a two-and-a-half-day prophetic encounter. He said it almost made up for the seven years he was in compromise, and he wrote the book. How many of you heard of the book, The Harvest? He wrote the book out of that, but the interesting thing is the Lord told him to write it in October. He waited, and the Lord like six months later, rebuked him and said, if you would have wrote the book when you did, it would have had even more impact on way more people, but because you waited. So there's a thing in God's timing too. Obedience is key. But imagine with John Bevere, that was the book that launched his ministry to international levels, right? Imagine he didn't do it, and then the Lord gave it to someone else. Well, who would John Bevere be? Who knows? Maybe he'd be, he was an engineer before he was in ministry. This close to missing it. Now get this, there's international ministers who were given someone else's calling and the Lord told them that. And, And I'm going to tell you who, Catherine Coleman. How many of you knew that? The Lord told her, someone I believe is, that she was God's third choice because there were men he called to do what she did, but they weren't willing. Two people, God called and they missed it. Imagine you stand before the Lord I like can't fathom this. And you were the first guy. Hey, buddy, look what you were called to do that Catherine Coleman fulfilled because you didn't do it. Ouch. Like, look how she impacted the world. Really, you could argue was a huge catalyst in the charismatic movement. I mean, come on. Reinhard Bonnke. How many of you know Reinhard Bonnke? Yeah. Okay. How many millions of people? Like, like 10 years ago or something, it was like 53 million saved in Africa, whatever it is now, probably double that. Get this. The Lord told him the same thing. When when I'm going to go ahead one, actually. When, the, when he tells of his, uh, uh, oh, I don't have that on yours, never mind. When he tells of his calling to evangelism, he had, a, he had a conversation with God, and he told God that I would follow you and do whatever you tell me to do. God told him in this extended conversation, you weren't my first choice. And after he said that, Reinhard was like, oh, and he said, and you weren't my second choice either. <laughs> Imagine being the person who was called to Africa to win how many millions and billions of souls <laughs> on that day and said, so You blew it. Now you were called to do what Reinhard did, you didn't do it. Right? Like I, can't, I can't even fathom that. All burnt up. Later on, this is interesting. Uh, uh, Reinhard Bonnke was having a conversation with the Lord because he's reluctant to do a particular crusade. I don't know why, because of the resistance or whatever. And the Lord told him, You drop the mission, vision, I drop you. <laughs> wow, eh? So, so Reinhard attributes the tremendous fruit of his ministry to obedience, to what God required. Just simple obedience. Back one, please. Uh, The other. This is interesting because I I didn't know this until I was thinking about this. But Rick Joyner, he tells this. Now the Lord told him, I've given you two callings that other people didn't do, and he showed Rick the people why they rejected the callings and what they're doing now. And he said, now you're called. You're you're going to do what they were called to do because they didn't do it. Same thing with John Bevere. He was at this conference in 1995, speaking to like 8,000 people, and this 80-year-old bishop writes this prophetic word. And the word said, I have it written here. It said, there were other people who God called to preach and do the things you're going to do, but they missed their assignment, so you've been given some assignments that other, were other men's original assignments. Look what John Bevere's doing. Now, so God looks for the ten-talent person, the one who's faithful, right? The five-talent person who actually stewarded it well. And God says, okay, one-talent person, it's going to that guy who's going to do what I called you to do because you didn't do it. So it's a reality, and it's an intense reality, I understand, but it's possible. Okay, so the key point is God's sovereignty doesn't override our free will. And our choice doesn't reverse his plans. So in other words, he's going to fulfill his plans with or without us. Now, hopefully, hopefully, what God calls us to do, we'll do it, right? But if we don't, he's going to do it anyway. We're like subcontractors, right? If you don't show up to the job, he's going to have to hire someone else to do it. So critical that we obey the voice of the Lord, I said this way at the beginning, the Holy Spirit, his word, so that we fulfill whatever it is that he's called us to do. Okay, because whether or not he does it, is he's going to do it, whether we do it or not. You know, I'm reminded of this, uh, I feel to say this, I, You, you know John Sanford, Elijah House? You know, he's a prophet, I don't know if you knew that, he has like high level encounters with the Lord, like really... One time, I I think he was in heaven. This was in the 60s now, early 60s. And the Lord showed him that JFK is going to be assassinated. Okay, this is before that happened. And John Sanford's like, oh, we should pray and prevent it. And God said, no. That's going to happen. It has to happen for whatever reason. It's part of history. It has to happen no matter how much you pray, it's going to happen. But he said, there's other things in history that you can prevent from prayer. And, like, there, uh, John Sanford tells these stories about the, the Lord showed him that there's going to be, like, you know, dramatic tsunami and whatever, and they prayed and it stopped, and science couldn't figure out why. If I remember, right, this is years ago now, so don't quote me on this, but I think the Lord showed him about Katrina, and he, he was like, man, if we prayed more, that probably would right? So there's certain things that you can, right, sovereignty, but there's also a free will, Some things, for whatever reason, are going to happen no matter what. What's my point is that God's going to fulfill whatever it is in the history that has to happen, whether we uh, uh, do it or not. He ordained certain works for us to do. We'll be judged before a stone for whether or not we walked in his plan for life, not for how we executed our own plans. It's not, now this is a key, it's not too late to commit your ways to the Lord. Don't be like the person who hears and does nothing. Okay, So now we're aware, if we weren't already, that this is a possibility. And I was going uh, I to spend a bunch of time, well, okay, well, how do I know God's will? And what were the keys that made David fulfill? You know what it boils down to, really? I talked about obedience, but also humility. You know, in Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, God says, you know, heaven's my... Uh, Throne and earth the footstool, who's gonna build a house for me? These are the people I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite of heart and who tremble at my word. David had those qualities, and that's who God looked down on favor. He was humble. Why? He inquired of the Lord constantly. In fact, the next slide, which should we do in all light of this? I, I just got a bunch of references where it says, David inquired of the Lord. An army's coming. What did Saul do? I felt compelled, so I did it in my own volition. David went away and inquired of the Lord. You guys know the stories, right? First Samuel 30, his men were going to kill him. What did David do? Went and inquired of the Lord. What should I do? That's the key, right? Acts 13, he will do everything I told him to do because David inquired of the Lord. That's humility. Whereas Saul was compelled and did it in his own flesh, which resulted in disobedience. Okay. So the first step to knowing and living in what God has called you to do, prepared in advance is to seek him, ask seek knock, follow his ways and diligently ask him to reveal his will will to you for your life. Hebrews 11:6 that God says that without faith it's impossible to please God for he rewards those who diligently seek him. It doesn't say he rewards those who seek him in wonder and doubt. Right? says, who diligently seek him. So there's a diligence. If you really want to know the will of God, we have to ask, seek, and knock, and he will, guaranteed, reveal it to you. 100%. Okay? So that's the first step. Humility, contrite of heart. You know, in David's famous prayer in Isaiah 51, where he repents because of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder, he says, bowls and offerings you don't please, right? Sacrifices. I can't quote it exactly. What pleases you? A humble and contrite heart you'll not despise. See, he knew that, right? That's what Samuel said to Saul. Sacrifices. God doesn't, isn't pleased with It's obedience that he's pleased with. So that's the trembling at your word. Remember in Isaiah 66, verse 2, I said, those who are humble and contrite and who tremble at my word. David trembled at his word. He quired with the Lord, and he had honor and respect for the word of the Lord, and he did it, and that's what made him a man after God's own heart. So... I'm going to end there, but for those of you who don't know or who haven't been here, I'm going to post this, because way back in September, I talked about how to know the will of God, and because of time, um, you know, I just, I wanted to say way more, and I'm like, okay, I just don't have time, so I'm going to say humility, seek the Lord with diligence, and, and probably next time, Whenever that is or whatever, I'll probably talk about these in more detail, how to know the will of God. But in the meantime, if you want, you can download the audio and the sermon notes for this message I gave on how to know the will of God. So if you're like, I don't even know what God's will is for my life, or calling, uh, you can download that if you like. But let's pray. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so Lord, I just thank you so much for your mercy and compassion and that you give us second and third chances There's a parable in Luke where you talk about how you're going to chop down the tree because it wasn't bearing fruit, and then there was someone who interceded and said, give it one more year, and let's see if it bears fruit, and then chop it down if it doesn't. And then the parable, you relent and say, okay, we'll give it one more year. I thank you, Lord, for that one more year, (laughs) so to speak. That even if we've been unfruitful in our callings and giftings and whatever it is you entrusted to us, I pray and ask for mercy, God. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us more time so that we will get back on track and fulfill exactly to a T what it is you're calling us to do. Lord, I ask for the mercy of the cross. And and Lord, if there's any of us who've been in willing disobedience, even if it's mostly obedient, the 95%, but that there's the 5% disobedience, that you would have mercy on us, help us to repent and fully, 100% obey you completely in every area of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are merciful, and mercy triumphs over judgment. And so, Lord, we just ask for mercy. We ask for the mercy, of Jesus Christ, and I thank you, you say, to come boldly to your throne of grace that we might receive mercy for our failures, find grace to help us in our time of need. So, Lord, we're asking for mercy for our failures where we've missed it, and grace to help us back on track. So we would fulfill every single thing you've called us, each and every one of us, to fulfill in this life, that we would be the person that would had five talents, and we come back to you, look, I've got five more, and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few. I'll give you authority over many. Come and share Master's happiness. So, Lord, we just ask, um, as people in this congregation seek your will, if, if people here don't know what their calling is, we thank you that you will reward us who diligently seek you and that you will give the answers, guaranteed to what it is your promise. And Lord, I just uh, pray also uh, right now uh, according to Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 through 14, Lord, that you would out of your glorious riches fill us all with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and knowledge that your spirit gives, so that we would all live a life pleasing to you. Lord, and please you in every way, bear fruit in every good word, grow in the knowledge of you being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have all great endurance and patience. And so, Father, I just ask that for the knowledge of your will to be manifest in our lives and, and that you would reveal what it is you've called each and every one of us. And, Lord, if there's been conviction today, God, I just ask that you would help us get back on track and fulfill everything you've called us to fulfill. So that each and every one of us would hear well done, good and faithful servant on that day. So Lord, I just bless everybody here. I ask that you would continue to speak to people if need be. uh, And that you would give us the the plan that you've ordained uh, for each and every one of us before we are even born for our lives. So that we would fulfill every single day that you have in your book for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.